0: Hello everyone. Today is such a cool conversation. Jesse and I were able to sit down with our in-laws. We're visiting in Albuquerque right now, and we wanted to talk to them about finances because they have been some of the primary people who have really taught us about what it means to be faithful in our tithing, to be faithful in saving, to be faithful in investing and what that looks like. So they're sharing their story about what it meant for them to live small in order to build up their investments them. <laughs> And the encouragement that they have for younger generations that are trying their best to create generational wealth and to build upon a savings account and fight against the debt and the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle that has consumed so many people in this generation. So we were able to really just kind of go back and forth. We touch on the prosperity gospel. We touch on the importance of tithing, why God calls us to tithe and what it means to tithe, even if you don't know if the church is being faithful with your money. Um, we talked about giving generously and what their investment opportunities looked like and how they created those opportunities for themselves. So I'm very, very excited and I hope you all enjoy this episode. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast if you haven't already and don't forget to share and tag us if you do enjoy the conversation. Let's jump in to today's talk. We were never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation, to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee, to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy, and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay Maestas, and today I am here with very special guests, my husband, Jesse. Hey. My mother-in-law, Catherine. Hello. And my father-in-law, David Maestas. Hello. He's got a radio voice. You guys will hear him. And Pastor David is a pastor at Calvary New Harvest here in Las Lunas, New Mexico, and we're visiting Albuquerque from Tennessee to see family. He's also the host of the Living It Out podcast, where he teaches practical ways to implement biblical truth into your daily lives. So— I would love if you guys would take a second to stop by the Living It Out podcast, subscribe, and listen in just to hear more about what His heart is and what the Bible has to say about living faithfully every single day. But today, we are going to talk all about finances and investments. And we have mentioned Catherine and David multiple times before on the podcast on seeing eye to eye as a couple Mm -hmm. because they have been really impactful in the way that we look at finances, the way that we invest wisely. They've taught me a whole lot of things that I didn't know beforehand. So we're just going to hear what they have to say about handling their money. So we're going to get started. My first question for you guys would be, what experiences did you have growing up, either good or bad, that helped to teach you how to handle your money wisely?
1: And we want truthful, good (laughs) and bad, of what helped you guys as you were kind of navigating, you know, the hard things, the good things, all that stuff.
2: I think when uh, I was growing up, my mother was very, she was very frugal in in saving money. And so I learned a lot from her along the way and my dad on just how to take care of money. They started a bank account for us when I was a kid. And so that started me off in making sure that I took care of my money. And, And then when Catherine and I got married, She was very frugal with with the money, too. So we both began to just save everything we did, right?
3: I think when we were, when I was young anyway, my parents, we didn't have a lot. So just by watching our parents on how when we finally got to do something, it was always if they had the money, they would take us out. If Mm -hmm. we didn't have the money, then we just had to learn to wait until our parents did have the money. So that's how we became,
0: I guess. Just kind of aware of the money. When you said your parents started a bank account for you when you were young, do you remember about how old you were and how did you make the money
1: that went into that bank account? And is that what she did? Like they would, you know, you would give her money and then she would go put it in the bank account? Or how did that work?
2: Yeah, it was. And I don't remember the exact age. I do remember I was at least grade school or younger. As soon as I was old enough to know what money was, I My mother started a bank account, a savings account, and I remember always looking at that little green book and seeing it. And so every time I put money into the bank account, it was just exciting to see it grow as I really was. My mother stressed on taking care of it and building it up for one day having to use it. Didn't know for what, but knew for later at some point I would use that bank account. So I learned to save early on. And like I said, when we got married, then we really... Put everything we had into learning how to save and be frugal, like she said, about everything we did. We we didn't spend wildly in any way. And uh, matter of fact, we we raised all of our kids here with one bathroom <laughs> in one house with four kids.
0: So let's and, talk uh, about that because you could have purchased a bigger home at the time. Mm-hmm. But So talk about why you kind of lived differently then so that you prepared yourself for the future and how you did that.
2: Well, we started by living in a in a trailer. Mm-hmm. We bought a small trailer. It was a two bedroom, like a twelve by sixty. And we lived in that trailer what about five years, huh?
1: Was that across from grandma's? Yeah, house? that was so across the street. Right? Yeah, that was okay.
2: across the street. And so we were there for, for about five years. And so it served its purpose. And then when we got into the house, which was another old house, it wasn't a new house.
3: It was your mom's house. It was
2: my mother's house. I <laughs> had one bathroom with six of us living in the house, and I hate to go, like, in the old days is what we used to do, but that's the way it was. We all lived in there, and we had to have our timing, you know, because you, all your kids were, were going to school. So everyone had to get ready. The scheduling was important, man. 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Everyone had to be on time because we had to go to work at the same time. You guys had to go to school, and so everybody was getting ready so to go. So for,
1: for anyone that doesn't know, <laughs> we joke about this, but... The last like two kids that got in the shower, it was like you got lukewarm water and then it was cold by the end of your shower. (laughs) So it was always a competition on like who could get up and who could get in the shower. And if you got in after my sister who took like a half hour (laughs) shower and ate up all the hot water, it was not fun. But I do want to ask you, so you're one of the youngest siblings in your family. So yeah, just out of all of your older siblings, like what made you guys decide or feel like you wanted to be more frugal and and being conservative with a home and stuff like that?
2: You know, my my old thing was looking to the future and what I was gonna do later on. I just thought there's gotta be a way to to do this. And I and I met up with a, a relative who had a lot of rentals and he had a lot of land and real estate contracts and these kinds of things. And so by talking to him, he told me about never being afraid to take those steps. Mm-hmm. That's when I, I talked to Catherine here and said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to give this a shot. We're going to try it because I don't want to ever look back and wish we hadn't tried it. And we bought a place here in this town. This is probably the littlest townhouse that we could have bought. And in the
0: houses I, before that, did you pay those off? Or did you keep those for rentals? Or at that point you were well, just we were starting-
2: still living in it. So that oh, okay. was that was our first uh, rental property, okay. actually, and and it was a it was a small, small little place. It was a condominium. It was a yeah, it was like a studio mm. condominium. At this time, it would be a bad investment. I would never do that one again. <laughs> but at the time, I was very young, and we were so green that when we went to closing. We didn't even know that we were supposed to have a down payment there. Oh, wow. It was crazy. And then our, our realtor hadn't advised us at that time about that. But So it was due to us, but we knew we had to do something. And so we took that step of faith with that one there, and it worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were renting it for, I don't know, it was like $230 a month or something, and we we're bringing in $270, 280 mm-hmm. And it was not much, but it was paying for the property. But just by that, we began to see that, well, this is easy. This can work out. Mm -hmm. And so we had an opportunity at some land next to us. And we said, well, there's some land there. Let's buy that land. But then I thought of the same principle because the land was vacant land. It was flat and there was nothing on it. And I thought, well, why don't we go borrow enough to buy the land? But let's also borrow enough money to buy a mobile home as well and a well and, and a septic and all this. And let's set it up for somebody to actually move into it. We'll rent it out. And then they'll pay the payment that we were going to pay and that it worked. That's what we did. And so that's how we got our second one. By standards of real estate, it probably wasn't a, a great resale type of investment, but it was an investment that was paid for quickly and it started bringing us positive cash flow.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say on a cash flow basis, yeah. that's that is a good investment because, you know, it's giving you profit every month. So you yeah.
0: mentioned you wouldn't do that investment again now knowing what you know. So what would you say is a good investment, especially the market with the way that it is right now? What do you consider or look for when you're considering an investment?
2: Now I'd buy a house, a nice house, yeah, that I think is not at the top of its value, something that you could buy a little cheap and then, and then maybe even fix it, paint it. And then resell it or hold on to it. Mm-hmm. It depends where you're at, too. Because like for us, when we first started buying them back in the 80s, we were still young. We had just gotten married. So we we knew that we had all our, our married life together, through, go through all the kids. And it was basically an investment for the future. So it just depends where you're at. We knew, and in my mind, was, okay, let's start buying these as investments. And then when we got, get older, like to our 50s, which we was basically our goal, 40s or 50s, then we'll sell them on real estate contracts. And that's what we did.
0: And you accumulated kind of how many during that time? Do you remember?
2: I can't remember, but I know that By the time we were 40, we had five homes already that were investments.
0: Well, and I love the story because I think so many people that I hear from say you have to be a millionaire to start investing in homes. And it's just not true. And I think right now, of course, the market's a little bit different. But there's also a place of saying, even if it is a small fixer-upper, kind of what Jesse and I bought for our first house that was a little scary in a scary area, but we were able to fix it up and... With a lot of help from people, but we were able to do that and then sell it and then kind of move up a little bit and then just continue transitioning through. But one thing you ha- have both shared at times is how you saw the lives of your friends that maybe looked a little bit differently where they were buying things. And can you talk a little bit about what you experienced with that and what it taught you?
3: I just think a lot of our friends that we would hang out with, they always had the houses, the cars, and We were still in the mobile home. We didn't have, you know, a lot, but we were like, you know, where do you work (laughs) and stuff like that. But actually it turned out later on they were actually in debt, Mm -hmm. you know, up to their eyeballs and their payments kind of living paycheck to paycheck. And we were just there like, you know what, we're just going to wait. So we learned that we talk with each other and if we can't buy it, We just kind of say, we're just going to wait until we can afford it. Mm. And besides the rentals, like when we first started, I mean, I think even in the 80s, the interest rates and all that were high, but how we made it was we rented it for, like he was saying, the exact.
1: Well, and, and I remember that mindset, the courage that you guys gave us to, I guess, take steps in buying our first rental property was that, I just remember you telling me, you save $10,000 for a down payment on a house and instead of buying a car or using that as you know something that's going to lose value it was you know put it into a house and if that down payment will eventually turn into passive income which that's the cash flow you were talking about you know even though it's a small amount and i think especially in this market you could have a really small amount in your return so because of the interest rates going up, because you have to put a bigger down payment, because you know mortgages might be a little bit higher, people can still do it as long as they're saving up. And looking at it in a way of, as long as it's positive cash flow, this will eventually turn into that snowball effect that you guys always have taught me and, and we've tried to implement in our lives of, if it's just $200, what does $200 do positive? Well, that pays for your Comcast bill that yeah. pays for your gas each month. And now you're saving $200 every month. So now that $200 that you're saving plus what you did the first time to save money Can is going to help that? you buy another property. And then I just remember you saying that where you were like, "Well, you know, your first property, let's just say on a on a positive note, you could make $300 on it but after you've paid the mortgage and all the bills you make $300, but now you got two of them. So you're making $600 and then $900. And before you know it, it's paying off your dream home in the future. And so you guys kind of did that. You know, people were, instead of buying the trailer, they were buying the nice house. You guys were just sinking them into investment properties, which helps later on.
0: And now you can live comfortably and without piles of debt because you've made wise decisions along the way. So as you look at the younger generation, you both obviously oversee a large congregation within your church. What would you say are some of the biggest mistakes that young people make financially and what would be your advice to them?
2: I think what they're doing is not having a lot of, lot of them, not, not all, but a lot of them are not having the patience to wait they want everything right now. Mm-hmm. And so so they're buying the big things, the nice cars, they're buying everything right away. And they're in debt. They're in debt so badly that they can't buy any investment properties or anything because mm-hmm. they're so busy having to just pay their debt to get out of the hole. And so I think if they would be able to rough it a little bit, I mean, it was tough being in a house with six of us with one bathroom. For years, not just a month, for years.
1: I mean, I was in high school when you guys. Uh, yeah, that, that's how long you guys had to I mean, go
2: through I that, you know?
1: Two kids were already out of the house <laughs> and we were just moving out of that thing.
2: So. But, but, you know, it, it pays off in the long run because now now we're, we're both basically, we could be retired and our house has paid off. We have investments. And so I don't know if there's a specific formula out there. That somebody would say, this is the way you got to do it. But I can tell you this is the way I did it. It's just using math, me and me and mom just said, okay, well, like you said, we, we got 300 profit coming on this one after paying all the payment on it. Now let's get another one. Now we got 300 or 400 on this one. Now we got another 200 on this one. Before you know it, that snowball effect comes. And then you start paying off your properties one at a time. And now they're full profit. Every one of those that starts getting paid off. And then we, we started selling them even on, um, like, if we could get a better buyer that would pay for it, and, and we'd make profit on it, and we start making, making good money on for it. For the
1: real estate contracts. On the
2: real estate yeah. contracts. So we, we, my plan was, as we got to the age where we said, okay, it's time. We're right around 50, 55, or whatever. Let's start selling them on contracts. And we could sell them on real estate contracts for 15, 20 years, whatever. And they'll start paying us. That can was you
1: explain just, what that is? And, for people and so who that's that. what we
2: did. Yeah. And, and uh, so they bring us income every single month. Now.
1: Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, a real estate contract, if you have kind of like what he was talking about at the beginning, where, you know, once you get so many of them and then now you're putting all the money into a property and you pay it off, when you have a paid off property, you can sell it on a real estate contract. And that means you're essentially being the bank for someone. So, that's enticing for some people out there that may have injured their credit, but they still have a great job or still have a great savings. Now they can put money down, they can buy a house you know, from you that's paid off. And since you're the bank, you would negotiate the interest rate, you negotiate the monthly payments, the taxes and interest on it. And the good thing about those real estate contracts that you guys do is you can set them for a five-year, 10-year, 20-year, or 30-year contract, which means at some point that balloon payment comes and that person either, if they don't have the money to do it, they have to go to the bank and refinance and then you get a check from the bank for whatever the remainder is. And the good thing about that is because you're acting as the bank and there's an interest rate on it, those people have, just like the bank, they've been paying mostly towards interest So you guys have monthly made a lot of money or profit each month based off of that, but then you make all of it back whenever they do a balloon payment. So Mm -hmm. it is a good route or a good avenue to take for people that have paid off properties out there.
0: And it also helps generationally because you guys were able to sell us our first rental home for a very, very generous price and then... Jesse's sister and brother-in-law purchased one from you as well, right? Mm -hmm. So not only are you doing, and that's something that we really desire is to be able to do something like that for our boys and give them the opportunity to kind of get into the same realm where they're getting ahead instead of constantly feeling like they're trying to keep up. Hey guys, I wanted to take a second to tell you about something that I truly believe can change your life for the better and a project that is near and dear to my heart. So in the past two years, the world really has turned upside down, but one silver lining that I've seen in so many people around me is that this time of chaos also brought a sense of clarity about who we want to be and what we want to do with our lives. Working from home became a norm that so many people appreciated as they spent more time with their families than ever before, found passion projects that they loved, and created things that they had wanted to do for years. I know that now, more than ever before, We are eager to live freely, aren't we? Away from the nine to five constrictive lifestyle and to instead enjoy the beauty that life truly has to offer. We want to work to live, not live to work. And Jesse and I realized the exact same thing, so much so that we actually changed everything. We packed up our home and moved across the country away from the only home we had ever known for over 30 years. And why did we do it? for a real quality of life. We were done with the hustle culture that had consumed us for so long and we wanted to slow down, but we knew that nobody would do it for us, so we had to do it for ourselves. So I dug into social media and all that I had learned over the years about serving my audience well, while also having the ability to make a real profit. Fast forward to one year after launching my first course, and because of my knowledge of social media and online courses, Jesse was able to quit his very demanding job that caused a strain on our family while I replaced his full-time salary. He now stays home with me and the boys while I work for a few days a week in just a couple of hours a day. I've also been able to hire a full team of employees in just one year. So let me back up a little bit to where it all started. Nearly seven years ago, I started a blog from my couch holding a newborn and covered in spit up. It was not glamorous, but I wanted to talk about the things that I loved. The only problem was that no matter how active I was on social media, likes and follows didn't pay the bills. So here's where things changed. I began following a girl on Instagram who created online courses. She made $15,000 in one night during her first launch, and I was fascinated by her success. Now, I'll be honest, I definitely didn't think that that could happen to me, and I really, really doubted my ability, so much so that it took me three years to create The Wife Project. But I knew at one point, if I didn't at least try, I would never succeed. So after much time, energy, and some tears, I launched my first course. And the next morning, I burst into tears when I saw that I had tripled in one night what my inspiration, that girl, had profited for her own launch. And in 2020, less than one year after creating my course, I replaced Jessie's salary. I've also had the ability to create multiple streams of income by all of the knowledge that I have in Pinterest and Instagram and TikTok and all of those avenues that have built multiple streams for us to where we don't have to worry where the money is coming from anymore. I'm here to tell you that I am not special by any means. And if I can do this, anyone can do it. I also want to tell you that it definitely is not too late for you to start, especially with Reels and TikTok changing the game. There has never been a time where you could get your business or your brand or your face in front of millions of people within hours, but now we can. And you have something worth sharing and teaching, even if you don't feel like an expert. So what's the point, Lindsay? I have created two academies that are jam-packed with secrets, tips, and tricks that I've learned over the past six years. There's no gatekeeping here. I am showing you every detail of what I've done to create a multiple six-figure income that gave us an entirely new life. Who doesn't want more time to spend with their families, to work while vacationing on the beach, and to go to brunch whenever they please? it is possible so on april 4th i am launching the social media marketing academy and the online course creation academy In the Social Media Marketing Academy, becoming a confident and profitable creator, I am teaching everything from Pinterest, to blogging, to Instagram Reels and TikTok, to SEO, to passive income streams, and collaborating with brands. You'll have the ins and outs of my secrets, along with tons of bonuses and worksheets that help you to put what you learn into action right away. This includes goal-setting worksheets with detailed instruction, time-batching plans to keep you from procrastinating, 30 Instagram Stories ideas to use each month, my top business book recommendations, customizable branding templates, and customizable media kits, over 15 websites that will get you in the door with brand collaborations immediately, and so much more. And in my second course, the Online Course Creation Academy, I will teach you how to create and successfully launch a course in less than 30 days. So if you are a teacher, a hairstylist, a software specialist, a musician, a mama who makes cute lunches or knows healthy recipes, a Christian who loves teaching God's Word, or somebody who is passionate about anything that they've been doing for a few years, you should be making at least $10,000 a month by teaching about what you love. You are good at something that someone else is not good at, and they want to learn from you. And even if you don't feel like they do, or if you feel like you're not an expert, you have to know that online course industry is a $100 billion industry that is waiting for you to jump in. In the Online Course Creation Academy, I will teach you step-by-step how to find your niche, your target market, how to write your course, how to determine your purpose and price out your course. I'll teach you how to revenue plan and record and edit that course and so much more. This comes with over 25 pages of worksheets that help you to put into action exactly what you're learning. And guess what? Your course will be written and ready to launch by the time you have finished My Academy. So what are you waiting for? As always, nothing changes if nothing changes. So I want you to show up and choose to move forward with that dream or that passion that you've always had because nobody else will do it for you. So click the link in my show notes to sign up for the waitlist, or visit my website to learn more. And don't forget the Academy's launch on April 4th and the launch pricing only lasts for two weeks. So don't miss it. I am also offering a bundle of both courses at a very low price. So don't miss out. If you want to learn how to create and launch a course and how to create passive income streams through social media and market well, this bundle is for you. So check it out, learn all about it. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Now let's get back to our episode. One of the questions that I had for you a long time ago, I think I asked both of you at lunch, was, what is the difference in building wealth as a Christian and being okay with building that wealth as a Christian versus relying upon money or idolizing money as a comfort? And one of the things you said to me is, you know, not everybody in the Bible was poor. God bless those people. And it doesn't make you more holy to be poor. But can you elaborate a little bit on that with people who might have this confusing mindset of, you know, you should give all of your money away or it makes you less holy if you have money? What would you say to that?
2: I think the, the biggest uh, thing to, to understand is that there are many in, in the Bible, like for, for instance, Abraham were very blessed men. They're, they're rich. The difference is the heart. It's all about the heart. It's what's going on inside. Are you giving faithfully to the Lord? Are you tithing? Are are you giving offerings? What are you doing with your money? And are you being a good steward? If your heart's desire is just to be rich, just to be rich, now you've got an issue in the heart. If your desire is to be a good steward of what God has entrusted you, taking care of your money and then using it, I believe for the the kingdom of God as much as possible in every avenue that you can, I think, you know what? He's going to bless you. When you don't do that, we're told in Malachi that you're going to find holes in your bag. There'll be holes in your pockets, and and you'll find out that you can never make ends meet because you're being stingy, and you're not being a good steward, and you're not giving to the Lord faithfully. And so if you are willing to give him and trust him off the top, you're going to find out, as told us in Scripture, that he said, test me on this. And see, if I don't open the, the windows and the gates of heaven and just pour into your lives. And I, mm-hmm. I've i seen that in our personal life, in our home. We've never lacked, no matter how much we've taken care of it. And may, maybe we've had to live in, in a, you know, put up with a, a truck that's already 15 years old or whatever. But you know what? We've always had what we've never uh, had to struggle, but we've always taken care of it because I believe God entrusts us. But he doesn't want us to be owned by the money, but he gives us just as he gives others because he knows, I believe he knows if you're going to bless and use it for his kingdom. And that's important. I believe we always have.
0: I wanted to ask, you mentioned tithing, and this is something that a lot of people will comment and send messages about. And it's specifically because they see so many mega churches now and mm-hmm. larger churches where it's this constant struggle of like, well, I don't know where the money is going, or I I'm struggling to give that money. I'd rather give it to somewhere where I know where that money is going, etc. We believe in tithing faithfully, but we know that some people around us have really struggled with the idea. So can you share what that heart should be behind tithing, why God calls us to that, and if it is our responsibility, what the church does with that money in the end.
2: The issue is this when you faithfully give, that giving is between you and the Lord. You are giving with all your heart. You want to give to your local church, the church that you are part of. If they make bad decisions, that's not against you. Mm-hmm. That's something that they're going to have to answer for. But you know what? No doubt, I, I pray that they're using wisdom. They're seeking the Lord in every every decision that they make in spending the funds that are coming in because they have to be good stewards as well. Yeah. But we are to give faithfully. And I, I believe 10% is just a start. Yeah, I believe it's even more than that. You give what you can faithfully and what the Lord puts on your heart. But I think it's important for us to do that because it, it shows that, that we believe in uh, what we're doing. We believe in the church that we're at. And we believe that that work is going out from there. But this is the thing. If you give on the side to somebody else and you don't tie it to your local church, well, you have no clue what that local church, what their bills are. And if they can't make their bills because everybody's paying to every other. And, and I and I know the heart is, okay, I want to I help the homeless and, in Africa or something, you know, you can, you want to help down there. Well, I I understand all that, but if all the money from all the congregants is going out to everybody else, then in your local church, you may see the finance people unable to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you do? They come to a point where they're struggling and they say, well, you know what? We're going to have to close the doors. Now, what, what did it do? It didn't help. It didn't serve any purpose. You have to trust your leaders, you're going to trust your pastor. What we do in our church is something that I can say that I'm, I'm very careful of. I don't even know. I don't mess with the finances. I've never done that. I, I don't look into the computer. I don't even know how to get in it. Mm-hmm. We have two finance people that one hand watches the other. they are take care of it. But the reality is that we have to believe and, and understand that, you know what, my giving is to the Lord. What happens there, we have to Trust that the people that are that are taking care of the finances are praying and they're making decisions. And they are indeed, they're going to l- listen to the pastor, but he's going to, he's just going to, like we, with us, we just get an overall picture of, okay, where are we at? Where are we at? Or what can we give to or where can we send money to? Like Like recently is one of the things that we do with our church, our church tithes. The church tithes. Hmm. So we have to always make sure. So I'll check with the guys. I'll say, hey, man, are we covering our tithe as a church to outreach? I want outreach from our church all the time. Hmm. They have to find ways to meet that. We haven't gotten there. We can try and do that, however, whatever it takes.
0: And I think that's a big point of what you're saying is you have to trust the people you're giving to. So if you're part of a church where you're constantly concerned about where that money is going, then maybe that is something to discuss with leadership or that's something to have a conversation with, with um, a team or a community group to determine where that is going. Because I do think there are a lot of churches that are really vulnerable with where the money goes. And if that's something that you really struggle with, then I challenge to find a home church where you feel And see that there is outreach happening because we've, I mean, we've gone to your church obviously and attended and that was our home church. And there were so many things that you were doing very openly vocally so that the church knew. And even when you had to renovate because you needed more people or you needed space for more people you were extremely precise with the amount of money that was going into that renovation so that everyone was fully aware. And I just I think that openness and that vulnerability really helps people to feel confidence within their church and then faithfulness. And but ultimately as you're saying is the money is going toward God. It's we're giving our first fruits to say this money is not ours. And it's, for me at least, a way that humbles me and reminds me, okay, I'm giving off the top of whatever is coming in so that I remember that this isn't mine to hold on to. Because I'd be lying if I if I said I didn't struggle sometimes with this. We've talked about this in the last episode, but this eagerness for a really solid foundation to make sure that sometimes prevents us from really having to trust
1: God to provide for us like we were talking about. And one thing I did want to ask you is what your thoughts were on the balance within investing and and giving it just always seems biblically there's always just this kind of how we were recently just talking with about how there's always this perfect center within the gospel and i remember those stories of biblically you know that story where he gives you know his each servant like a coin and you know one of them buries it and doesn't do anything with it just saves it from his master and then another one you know, doubles it and another one does tenfold and God, you know, blesses him with that. So when I hear stories like that and you read that, it just feels like there's a sense of, yes, you want to go out and work. You want to be ambitious and, you know, multiply what God is entrusting you with. And at the same time with that, you know, gaining tenfold of that money, Comes the responsibility of, yes, taking care of other people and helping God's kingdom here on earth with outreach, like you were talking about. Because, again, going back to what you were talking about too, is like I've heard some people, you know, just saying that about the church and, you know, you're just piling up money for yourself. But then you have people like David and Solomon that had tons of wealth and didn't, maybe didn't always treat it properly. But you have those situations. So, how do you feel with that responsibility? even, you know, outside of the church, like how do you guys deal with helping other people and and determining how to, you know, reach or or assist other people financially? Because that's been an area we've kind of struggled with in the past too, is like how, you know, sometimes we almost felt like helping someone didn't help them. It made the situation worse financially. So how do you guys determine like when to help someone or or assist someone with those finances? And and being okay with having that mindset of, you know, I can work and and accumulate financially as long as you're taking those responsibilities.
3: I think what's so cool is when the Lord does bless you and you do get more income, you can turn around. And again, like we're saying, you can turn around and give more to the Lord, give more to your, you know, meaning your church and with other people, I think with other people, To me, if God puts it in your heart, you know, like if you see somebody or you hear somebody struggling and it just really, really touches your heart, then I think from there, that's where God's pushing you or pulling you to say, you know what, you can help instead of throwing it on somebody else and saying, you know what, this person needs help, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think always go with your gut because a lot of times with your gut feeling, You know, it's the Lord pushing you and pulling you to see if, you know what, is this, are you going to use your money to help out somebody?
1: Well, and that gut feeling, I guess, goes back to what we were saying earlier is, is you're doing your due diligence, you know, in doing what God has asked you for. And if that person's, you know, say you gave it to them to pay bills and they went and bought a new car or, you know what I mean? Or, or, or decided to eat out for the rest of the week with all the money you gave
0: them. Yeah.
1: But you you give they're deciding you know I'm just gonna buy Starbucks and eat out for the rest of the week. I mean that responsibility falls on them at some point and we shouldn't be feeling guilty or you shouldn't be paying attention to what or even angry. you know what are you doing yeah. with that money I gave you because then then your heart is kind of getting into you know choppy territory where you really shouldn't be messing with. So
2: that's good. I believe you got it you've always got to be uh, praying for discernment. You have to pray for discernment. You have to be walking with the Lord. You have to be close to him in order to discern these things, because you're going to have those. Just because we give it doesn't mean that we're doing it right. If, if we're giving to somebody on the side of the street that uh, looks like they're homeless, yet they're abusing it. Because I believe sometimes, just like the prodigal son, sometimes they got to get down to a place where they're going to cry out to God and maybe need to go to work. Yeah, some of them may may just be not wanting to work. They may be lazy or whatever the reason. And you know what? Every every man's got to work. And so sometimes you have to really you have to say, "Lord, is this person really in need, or are they not? Are they abusing abusing mm-hmm. it?" And so it's really a hard thing. It's it is a tricky thing. But you want to have a compassionate heart, and at the same time, you want to be a good steward of what God is entrusting you. Mm-hmm. So you want to do both. I believe that even if you give and they ended up blowing it, I believe God will still bless you. Maybe you made the wrong choice with helping this person over here to your right or left.
1: And again, to clarify though, because I think when people hear that, you know, even though you've done the right thing or you've made the right step, God will bless you. Some people, I feel, misinterpret that into thinking that means blessings in this earth. And one thing that we've really been talking about a lot, and I feel like God's really hammering into my spirit, is it's not about your blessings on this earth and it's about like, you know, you're, you're saying these blessings are, you're storing up your blessings and your treasures in heaven, which is where Christians and believers should constantly be focused. So the reason why I want to say that is I just, you know, to any of our listeners, like you don't want to fall into that trap or that mindset of thinking I've done X, I deserve X Mm -hmm. or anything along those lines, because we are called to do those. Or even, you know, when God says, go into your closet and pray in secret, you know, you're not trying to flaunt these things. You're not trying to boast, but we're trying to do these things. And although we might forever be negative, you know, a thousand or $2,000 that we gave to this person and never be hooked up, I guess, in a worldly sense, but our treasures are in heaven. And we, we can trust that. We can move forward with you know, I'm focusing on what my kingdom looks like, what God's kingdom looks like in the future. When when this world is past, which is inevitable, it's temporary and it's fading. I want to focus on the eternal things. I think that's really good. And I also think that was just a great point with like the prodigal son. Like mm-hmm. you never really think of things that way of, you know, someone's going through something that God is, is working through their hearts.
2: You know, and along those lines, I just think it's important to mention, and I think this is exact this is what you're saying. It is like the, um, prosperity I was ministry say that. Is, yeah. is is kind of what tells you if you give me X, then I will double you and give you this much. Yeah, it's not true, and and so I've heard that so many times, especially in the '80s when we first got married, there was a lot of that. It's still out there. You mm-hmm. you still have. Some that'll promise, if you give this, you're going to get this much back. They just but, have larger
0: but, platforms. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but
2: you're right. The blessings are in heaven. It's not about that. It's uh, Really, we're not here for that. Mm-hmm. We're well, here for such a short period.
0: Yeah. Well, and you look at the life of Jesus, because there are so many people who listen to these and feel like, okay, if if God loves me, He's going to bless me abundantly. But you look at Jesus, He had nowhere to lay His head. He was as much of a nomad as anybody, and He had nothing to His name except for what He believed and who He was, and that was the Son of God. And so I think when we see the prosperity gospel and hear the prosperity gospel, you have this understanding, they preach to you that— life is about health and wealth and happiness. So then when you don't have health, wealth, and happiness, that equates to God not loving you, right? Because if he loves you and if you really believe in him, we heard one teaching that made us sick to our stomachs where he was saying, you know, you you need to dress your kids nicely and God's going to provide nice clothes for your child. And if he doesn't, like your faith isn't there. And it's, There couldn't be a further lie because that is not, if we have this eternal mindset, then what we have in this world is not the ultimate focus. And I look back to Matthew 6, 24, where it says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money, or you cannot serve both God and money. But prosperity gospel teaches the exact opposite because it's saying money equates to your holiness. Money equates to your faith. And so just to dispel that, because I think if you are hearing that, if you're listening to preachers who are teaching that, that's a false gospel. That's not a narrative that is in the Bible, and that's not God's heart for your life. Yeah. Well, does there anything else that you would add as you speak to a young generation, thousands of people across the world who maybe didn't have any guidance in their lives with money, or they're kind of living paycheck to paycheck, they're knee-deep in debt, and they're kind of just trying to claw their way out?
2: I'd say don't get in a hurry.
0: Mm.
2: I'd say save. Save your money and and, uh, put it away. Count whatever you're saving as something that's not to be touched. When we save it and bring it right back out, it's not really saving. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a goal. If you don't have, as, as like one man said, if, if you don't have a target, you can never hit it because if you don't shoot, you shoot towards that target, it's never going to happen for you. Yeah. So you, you want to save. And so I would tell the younger generation, make sure save, hold on, have some patience, look for a goal that's further away and uh, remember to have the whole reason you're doing this. I believe is so that you can bless, so that you can bless others, but it's, it's as well so that, uh, one day our our hope is to hear hear those words a well done good and faithful servant as we stand before our lord that's what my goal is and that's what i want to make sure and and be is a good steward with what god has entrusted me
3: i agree you know with that and i also think be careful with credit cards yes. i mean i see this generation where they're putting that plastic card out and a lot of times you have to remember, you have to pay that credit card off. Yeah. With, interest. And with interest. with interest. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, and Big time. credit cards and alcohol, I feel like, are just such, they just suck money out of yep. people. And it's just like, you know, give up on those things and you can save for a house. You know, save and... Um, well,
0: and watching where your money is going, because yeah. at, we've talked about credit cards. We <laughs> you could probably go hand in hand with, <laughs> As I sit with alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, well, but truly because we talk about credit cards and we love credit cards because we're able to get points. And we mentioned this on the last episode, we can get points and we can get money toward hotels and it pays you back, but we will not spend it if we don't have the money. And He gets mad at me because sometimes he's like, I don't think you're supposed to pay it off. I'll go spend it, and I get to my computer, and I pay it off. I just don't want it even on there. But you're supposed to wait until the
1: end of the month, right? Until the statement comes out because no interest has been accrued. It's just you're paying it off when the statement
0: comes. But if that's a slippery slope, if that's something that causes you to stumble, if that's even something that you've forgotten a couple of times, then that is not the route for you right now. I mean, cash, my mom always taught me, you know, use cash for Everything and anything if you can. If that's a detriment to your life, then it's not something that you're going to automatically get better at. You have to practice that self-control and self-discipline in order to get to that point. But yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for yeah. joining us. Yeah, thanks it's for nice having us. Chat. Thank you. And just a reminder, you guys, if you wouldn't mind a quick subscription to the Living It Out podcast. This is just a shameless plug for our family <laughs> and just knowing that the truth that Pastor David has preached to our lives has been so impactful and where we learn from the things that we teach to you. So we would love if you would listen, give a quick rating and review on the Living It Out podcast, and just continue sharing it with people who need to hear the gospel or who need to be encouraged by God's Word. We love you guys, and we'll talk to you next time. See you. Bye.
1: Later. <laughs>